This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Well, hello, hello, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you happen to be on this, well, here in L.A., gorgeous Sunday morning. Uh, sun is shining. It was that way yesterday, too, which is great. And uh, so we're here with uh, live with Dr. Jeff Werber, your host for the next 30 minutes here on Pet Life Radio on Instagram Live. Hello, everybody. I'm here for you, here for your pets. Answer any questions you may have, all those things you're afraid to ask. Well, you don't have to be afraid anymore. Just ask away. Trust me, whatever questions you may have, trust me, there are other people that <laughs> have the same questions and haven't asked or they go, oh my God, I was going to ask that. So anyway, how to get a hold of me very easy. Well, if you're here on Instagram, you can type in your questions. I can't invite you onto the show, which I would love to do, but then it kind of, it uses up half the screen. People can't get in. I tried to do it the very first three times. It didn't work out. So we're going to pass on that. You can always get a hold of me privately. Obviously you follow me. You can send me a message and I will definitely get back to you. Here on Pet Life Radio, very easy. You can toll free number 877-385-8882. Once again, write it down. 877-385-8882. Or you can join me live here by just going on to petliferadio.com. Click on shows, scroll to Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, and you can just join right now. We'd love to have you come on the show. And um any questions? It's like real time live video, which means that if you are even contemplating at some point doing some telemedicine. This is the best practice you can have. It is so easy. And you can actually talk to somebody live, real time. And in this case, here on Pet Life Radio and on Instagram Live, it's me. So anyway, free advice. What is wrong with getting some free advice and some free recommendations? And I will tell you that the only alternative really for many of you, if you don't have a doc in your pocket, right? And you have Dr. Jeff and you alternative is you can't, how many of you can call another doctor, right? And, uh, and just say, hi, I'm, in fact, I heard a cute little joke, a story, some uh, guy calls his doctor two in the morning. He says, doc, hi, this is Bill. You remember me, right? You, you, you treated me a few years back. I just got to tell you that, that it is unbelievable. Since you treated me for my depression, I've been like a new guy. It's been fantastic. I just can't thank you enough. I am so appreciative. He says, so you're calling me at two in the morning just to tell me how appreciative you are and thank you? Oh, no, 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 doc. I'm just telling you that. Really what happened was my dog, my dog got a hold of my antidepressant medication and I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't know. Should I worry? And the doctor goes, I don't know. Call your vet. He goes, what? And wake him up at two in the morning? <laughs> that's, that's how I feel. So uh, anyway, people call me all the time but, and that's okay. So anyway, as you are contemplating questions, ah, and we already have a question. Love it, Michelle Doyle. 70-pound Catahoula mix, great dogs, by the way, had an anal abscess. Is that a news for a larger breed? Also, Dr. Felt that on the uh, rectal exam, after react in two weeks. Ah, so first of all, no. Um, is he neutered? Okay, that's, that's important. Anal abscesses can happen anytime. Anal growths usually happen in dogs, more so because it's testosterone-driven. So if he felt something inside, whether it's a rectal growth, polyp, that maybe they'll get some perianal adenomas, which is like a, a tumor that is more common in non-neutered males. So that's one question. But uh, anal abscesses can happen anytime to any dog. Now, basically, it's, it's the anal glands get impacted 
And then once it gets impacted, the stuff sits there, the material gets a lot thicker, and then they can't release it. And then it basically becomes uh, an abscess, an infection, and then it ruptures. So since it can't rupture through the really the anal, the duct, the normal anal gland duct, then it actually will break through the skin. So interestingly, when it breaks through the skin, it is a little bit uncomfortable for them and maybe a little smelly and dusty. But I got to tell you something. It's an abscess. It's like lancing abscesses in cats. Once you lance it, just draining it makes them feel so much better. So it's just a spayed female, then uh, there's obviously not a worry about anything in the growth. So if they felt something, I'm just wondering if it wasn't just the thickened gland itself. So if you're going to go back in two weeks, have it done another rectal and let me know. Anal rectal, right? Uh, distal colon rectal growths in dogs is really not that common. We do see it, of course. I've removed many of them, but it's probably just the irritation from the anal abscess. And that's probably what's going on. Please let me know when you uh, go back for the recheck, they do the second uh, rectal exam and kind of let me know what they find. Katie Pooh, Katie Pooh, I love that. So what's your take on early spay neuter? And um, what is, it looks like it didn't, the question didn't finish. She was sedated and they lanced it and put her on antibiotics. Yes. What I often do, by the way, and we got, I got two questions here going at the same time. These are great questions. We're back to the rectal abscess, the anal abscess. Um, what I usually do, even though now it's, it's ruptured and you drain it, I put a drain in there because here's what happens. With any abscess, skin heals faster than the abscess itself resolves. So what happens is if you don't put a drain in to prevent actually the opening, the hole from closing, then uh, oftentimes what will happen is the hole will close before the abscess, the infection is cleared up. So I put a drain in, I leave it in for two, three, four days, pull the drain, and then it heals up so quickly, which you could do because if there's no drain in there, then you can just hot compress it a couple of times a day. And you basically, where he lanced it, where the skin was lanced to drain the abscess, you don't want that little opening to close. So by compressing it, massaging it, hopefully you'll get all the infection out of there and it's going to heal just fine. But as I said, I, I prefer putting a drain in. Now, let's go back to Katie Pooh's question about early spay neuter and when is the, uh, what age do we recommend? Uh, actually, so, so let's go backwards a little bit historically that early spay neuter programs were becoming very popular probably in the, in the 90s. And the reason for that is that people that would adopted pets from shelters used to get a voucher to go into whatever the spay neuter clinics were, which usually the city run, and it was free. And you're thinking, so, well, fantastic, it's free. I'm going to go in and get spay neuter at the right time. Well, guess what? They never did. They prepaid for it, but they never used it. So they realized, you know what? We can't trust this to happen. So what we're going to do is we are going to spay and neuter them before they are released. So what they would do is you would go in, you would choose your puppy or your kitten. They would have you say, okay, come back tomorrow. They would have the shelter vet go ahead and spay and neuter. And then you came and pick up your dog the next day, which is fine. The problem with that is there's a lot of more recent data that's supporting that maybe early spay neuter is not such a good idea. I am not a fan. I'll tell you why for a number of reasons. First of all, there's a practicality. Many, many, especially small breed dogs, and cats will get something called retained deciduous teeth. You see it mostly in small breed dogs. These are puppy teeth that never fell out. And when the adult tooth was erupting, it was supposed to push the baby tooth out of the way and replace it. But instead, the roots of some of these baby teeth are so long that they would hold their ground, 
forcing the adult youth to come in in the wrong position. In the uppers, they would come just in front of the deciduous, the baby tooth. And in the lower canines, mostly the canines, it would come just on the inside. Now you have two teeth coming out of the same socket, right, in the gums. And you would often get infections between these two teeth. So you have to pull the baby teeth. Well, obviously, it's not an easy pull sometimes. I mean, the reason it didn't fall in the first place is because they are tightly embedded and the root is pretty long. So now you're saying, so wait a second. So I just did an early spay when my dog was four months old or five months old or six months old, and there were still now baby teeth. And now I got to knock them out again to, to take care of the baby teeth. Well, that's not that smart. I mean, when you look at deaths related to surgery, it's usually not the surgery. It's not the, the major vessel that you accidentally cut and didn't close it or didn't sew it or didn't catch it. Man, that belly fills up like crazy. No, the reason is the anesthesia. So why would you subject a dog to a second anesthesia at such a young age when instead, why don't you wait and then spay them and wait till all the adult teeth are in, make sure there are no deciduous teeth. If there are, you take them out at the same time that they're already under that one anesthesia for the spay or the neuter. So that's the one thing. Secondly, is developmentally. There are a number of studies out now in different, looking at different aspects of whether it's cancer prevention, whether it is urinary incontinence, whether it's bone development. And there's a lot out there now that say, you know what? We should not be spaying and neuter right away. In fact, in fact, many of veterinarians out there, many of the experts, and myself included, not an expert, but maybe a little wise after, you know, my 39 years, is that of practice, not age. I wish it was age. And uh, anyway, and that is that the are let them have one heat at the females and males, especially large breeds. There is now a recent study, relatively recent, that there may be a link between bone cancer in older dogs, when they usually get bone cancer, going back to early spay and neuter. When it comes to the male, and the study was done on Rottweilers that are also known for this particular bone cancer called osteosarcoma, a 65% greater incidence in long bone cancer in those dogs that were pre-pubertally neutered, and a 35% increase in the females that were pre-pubertally spayed. Now, why did we spay early anyway? Well, that was because of the opposite, a benefit to early spay or spaying before the second heat they found, and that is mammary cancer prevention, risk reduction. And mammary cancer in dogs is seven to 10 times more prevalent than it is in women, probably just because the number of mammary glands, but whatever, it is common. And we used to therefore find that if you spayed a dog prior to a first heat, you can almost 98% reduction. But if you spayed them after the first heat, but before the second, you're still at about a 90 to 88 to 90% reduction, but there are other advantages to waiting. Therefore, my, and this is my personal recommendation. If you were my client, I would give you this recommendation. I even write letters to the city who insist that dogs have to be spayed by six or seven months. And I say, you know what? For medical and health reasons, we want to wait till 9, 10, 11, 12 months. And it works most of the time. But anyway, so my recommendation is for small breeds, if you really, really want to do it early before the first heat, dog, small breeds don't usually get bone cancer, which is why I'm saying this. And you want to wait till at least all the adult teeth in five and a half, six months, spay them after six months. Now, if you are concerned about possible urinary incontinence in a female later on, you know what? Let them have the first heat. Mature 100%. Let the estrogen influence do whatever it's going to do on that bladder sphincter and wait until 9, 10, 11, even 12 months. Remember, if the first heat ideally comes at seven months, 
Second one, seven months later, 14 months of age. So if you stay them around 11 to 13 months, you're going to be okay. So that's my recommendation. Hope that answers your question. Can early spay neuter cause insecure, fearful dogs? I don't, you know what? I'm sure there are more behavioral. I was looking at more of the medical aspects, but I'm sure that there may be some behavior stuff going on too when it comes to that. You know what? It wouldn't surprise me. And that wouldn't surprise me at all. So uh, anyway, that's kind of my two cents. Take it or leave it. No, no, it's fine. If you have any questions about it, please feel free to reach out to me. But for large breed dogs, I am, I, I will not. I'm large breed males, giant males, large breeds, I tell them wait to a year and a half to two years before neutering. And for the females, at least let them have that first heat and get them close to that second heat, but don't let them have that second heat. Okay, next question. Echo is taking two 64 milligrams of phenobarbs every 12 hour seizures. Wow. So first of all, if here's the thing. That is, a, that's a big dose. It must be a very, very large dog. And if it's working, if this is how I feel, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So if those medications, that's a lot, but if they're working and, and the dog isn't walking around like a zombie because of all that phenobarbital, then go ahead. Obviously, you're going to take blood tests. You should monitor the liver anyway. One of the liver enzymes, the alkaline phosphate is going to be elevated 100% because two of the drugs that we commonly use that cause an elevation of alkaline phosphatase are going to be, number one is phenobarbital, number two is prednisone. So when animals are on one or, or both of those medications, their alkphos is going to be high anyway. So just you know, keep that in mind. But with the zanisamide and the phenobarb two, that's, that's, that's a lot. 64.8 is a full grain. That means we're in two grains of pheno and the zanisamide um, twice a day, even three times a day. That seems like a lot. So what I would maybe try to do, have you tried this yet, is start toning down a little bit on the phenobarb and see how, how the dog does. And if necessary, add potassium bromide, which doesn't have a sedative effect at all, but potentiates the anti-seizure effect of the phenobarbital. So that might be an answer. And, you know, but if the dog's doing great and you do the bloods, and except for obviously alphosphatase, the bloods are great, then you're good. So anyway, and Bethany, yes. Uh, the incontinence issue, it, it, that's one of the problems we're having with early spay. So I, uh, again, that's why I like to push it off until um, at least let them have one heat. Uh, we, we don't want to have that second heat because then with females, you do worry about the breast cancer issue. So anyway, any other questions, ask away. So before break, let me, I always have some stories. I am so thrilled that we're doing this with Instagram and, and Pet Life Radio, because what it's doing is there's so much to talk about. And I love the fact that you're all at least paying attention. So, all right. In fact, I love the question when it starts by saying, remember you said a couple of weeks ago, et cetera, et cetera. It's the name. You know, there's certain things they say, you know, if you tell a joke, you can remember it for a year. If you hear a story, you usually remember it for about half a year. If you're listening to a lecture or medical advice or anything, you kind of remember it for about 10 minutes. So uh, that's how I feel. So that was kind of a joke. So I expect you remember that for at least a year. All right, next up. Okay, there's, this is good. Uh, there is a medication or it's a disease that we often get that can be very deadly. I actually lost my first Labrador to it. It's called pancreatitis. It was acute necrotizing pancreatitis. And there's a new drug. Now, it's a big name. It's called Panaquel CA. And so it's for cancer. The drug is, get this out, it's Fuzaplidib sodium. F-U-Z-A-P, Fuzaplidib sodium. And basically, it's been shown, been used in Japan since 2018 with success. But you know, our, our uh, FDA ain't so easy to get new drugs passed. Anyway, it just 
gain a conditional use permission by the FDA. And basically, it could be a game changer when it comes to acute pancreatitis because we really don't have a specific treatment. Treatment for pancreatitis has always been supportive care. Get them on fluids. If you can, if you can get both legs going at the same time or jugulars, however you're going to deliver the fluids, the more the merrier. You got to flush, flush, flush the system. And um, anyway, so, but this new drug could be great. And um, also, just so you know, be careful. If you live in New York City, especially up in Washington Heights area, three dogs in Washington Heights, New York City have died from suspected rat poison. There are two different types of rat poisons out there. One is a neurologic. One is a um, hematologic. One stops clotting. They bleed out. One causes seizures and brain lesions, neurologic signs. Anyway, the problem is in order to get these things out, all right, the rats to eat them, they make them very tasty. It's the same thing with snail bait. Snail bait pellets are very tasty to dogs. So you got to just know that when that happens, it's a problem. So anyway, and let's see, we have some, you know what? It's half past, it's over half past the show. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, some more things to talk about. If you have any questions, nip free, what time, when should we neuter? Uh, we'll talk about that because it depends on the size of the dog and uh, the breed. If smaller dogs, I would wait till all the adult teeth are in. Then would be okay because they don't really have the bone cancer problem. But larger breed dogs, I wait until they're definitely over a year. So with that, let let you go for a quick break. Don't go away. We'll be right back here on Pet Life Radio, here on Instagram Live after these short messages, at least on Pet Life Radio. For those fortunate to have experienced the deep bond and unconditional love of a companion animal, the death that follows can be one of the most difficult and misunderstood losses to go through. Many times, this devastating loss goes unrecognized and trivialized by family and friends, leaving grieving pet parents struggling to find healthy ways to cope with the loss. In And I Love You Still, a thoughtful guide and remembrance journal for healing the loss of a pet, Dr. Julianne Corbin calls attention to the difficulties unique to the loss of a beloved pet and provides an interactive and compassionate guide to help you process your loss and work towards coming to a place of peace and healing. For those interested in journal therapy and looking for a professionally written and compassionate resource to help understand and reconcile the grief associated with the loss of your pet, this book is for you. And I Love You Still, a thoughtful guide and remembrance journal by Julianne Corbin is now available for purchase on Amazon and other major book retailers. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. And we're back here live with Dr. Jeff Orban, Pet Life Radio. During the break, all right, I was talking to some of the Instagram live audience, and this is great. What could cause an older dog's jaw to break? Is it periodontal disease? Yes, yes, yes. So here's the whole thing that happens, is that when bad teeth, people say, well, I don't want to knock him out. He's too old. No, no, age is not a disease. It's nothing to do with the age. It's nothing to do with the quality of the dog's medical condition. So when I have an older dog, I'm not going to not do something that's necessary just because they're old. I'm not going to do it if their bloods will not allow me, showing me such severe liver disease or kidney disease or heart disease, whatever the case may be on my physical, that I'd be very scared to anesthetize. And that's, you have to weigh the pros and cons. Well, if you have a dog 
and who's got such a terrible mouth, that infection is eating away at the bone. I'm sure I shared when we had Dr. Bellows, the Jan Bellows on, he's a veterinary dentist, world famous, right? And we were talking about the, the importance of dental care. And when he, when, remember we were talking about the anesthesia-free dentals, that people will go to a groomer or go to these places that do non-anesthesia dentals, and it's a real problem. And so what happens is, is that, that people are afraid to anesthetize and do what's necessary, do what's right, just because of age. Can you imagine, can you imagine you have a grandma, 95 years old, bless her heart, she falls and breaks her hip. And she goes to the doctor, she can't walk now. And she goes to the doctor and the doctor says, grandma, you're in amazing shape. Your blood's came back perfect. Your lungs, are, your heart's ticking like, hey, but you know what? You're 95, so we're not going to fix your hip. Oh, you can't do that. If a body can handle it, you got to do it. That's how I feel about age is not a disease. However, it is going to affect the choices that we may or may not make in surgery, what anesthetic protocol, what induction protocol, how much are we going to do in surgery? Are we going to take out all the little teeny bumps and lumps and warts too and leave them under longer or just the main ones that are really causing some problem? That's where age makes a difference. But don't not, double negative, do not not do a dental just because the dog is old because this is what happens. As the infection bruise, it starts digging into the bone. It causes bone weakening, bone destruction. Then even if you, you know, when a lot of this happens, Mama Sue, is during, during a procedure, okay? And that's what happens. Now, you're saying here that he was 13. That's not super old for a pug, but it's old. But the parathyroid is not functioning. Ah, so now we have a different reason for the bone loss, and that's the parathyroids. So if you don't have that calcium phosphorus balance, that bone health, and that's what happens with parathyroid disease, then yes. Uh, and it's, then it's just not just the jawbone. It would be other bones too. But these are things that really make a difference. But if diagnosed early, the parathyroids, there are some medications, there's some treatment that can be done and some medications and supplements that could be given to initiate uh, some of the things that are at loss because of the parathyroid disease. So um, you know, back in the day when we were treating hyperthyroid cats and we had to remove the thyroid glands. Sometimes it was very difficult to separate that little small parathyroid and the blood supply to that small parathyroid from the thyroid gland that we were removing. But there were injections, there were supplements, medications that were given, cholecalciferol, for example, that would supplement that which the parathyroids were no longer able to do because you had to remove them with the abnormal uh, thyroid. So, you know, that's, there are a lot of factors involved, but if there's a really, you know, bad, and some of these parathyroids can be done by scans. So, you know, if there's suspicion that there's a problem and you catch it early enough, if you're lucky enough to catch it, early, a lot of times it's an incidental finding and you don't really know it because there's very few clinical signs, especially an older dog, it's not that active. So you're not taking x-rays regularly to see what the bone density is like. And you may not ever know this until a dentistry until you're just trying to extract a tooth and the whole jaw breaks. Um, so that is the, uh, that is the, the problem. Um, does nurturing the thyroid uh, stop functioning? What is that? Does nurturing make the thyroid stop functioning? Um, uh, when you see nurturing, does that mean supplements? I, I want to know what that means. So, um, um, oh, neutering. <laughs> Thanks. No, the neutering, not that I know of. I, I have not seen any studies linking neutering to hypothyroid disease. For example, we see hypothyroidism in a number of dogs, but it's not common at all. 
I'm number one dog for me is the golden retriever. And uh, so 95% or more of my patients are spayed or neutered. And I pick up hypothyroidism very infrequently. So no, more problems with Boston's that are blue in color. I have a friend who has a show breeder. He got really angry at me again, considering buying one. Um, uh, yeah, angry that are, no, I'm not, again, that I don't know. Boston's are usually more of a black and white. I, uh, I look at it this way. I have my, one of my, my Frenchies is a blue brindle and he's healthy as can be. So uh, again, I will tell you this, that I'm sure many of you know of Labrador retrievers, okay, that are basically, it's an anomaly, um, genetic anomaly of chocolates. They're called silver labs. And for many, 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 many years, the true Labrador breeders breeding chocolates would put the silvers to sleep. The same reason, interestingly, check this out, that breeders of German shepherds, if there was a white German shepherd, they would put him to sleep. Because again, they thought that it was some sort of dysfunction, a genetic dysfunction, and it wasn't supposed to happen. So what they did is that they would uh, destroy them because they didn't want anybody to know that in their gene line, okay, was this aberrant gene that could cause white and German shepherds, could cause silver in the chocolate labs. Now there are some breeders breeding silver labs. So, but they do say, and again, I, I haven't seen any of the studies, so I can't tell you for sure, but they do say that there are more problems, medical problems down the road with silver labs. And therefore, some of the purists are not a fan of silver labs. I think they're great. They look a lot like in color to put it into perspective. Think of a Labrador and body shape and everything that looks like a Weimaraner in color. And that's kind of what the silver labs look like. I think they're great. What with the white German Shepherd? She was fantastic and she lived a really long life. So I don't know what they're talking about. Now you see white shepherds uh, much more frequently, but in the, the purists of the breed. Now, black shepherds were cool. In fact, I think Rin Tin Tin, the famous Rin Tin Tin, his either, I think his grandfather was black German shepherd. So that's, that's okay to be in the line. But um, anyway, I hope that answers your question. And so, but a lot, as far as the blue uh, Boston, I don't know enough about the Bostons to know that. If there are any Boston Terrier enthusiasts that can explain that out there, please join us and, and let us know what the truth is with blue Bostons. Uh, what else? So I mean, another story or two here. This is good. We're going to leave you with this one. And I love the fact that we have so much interaction here, but this is good for all of us. Well, here's a quickie. Cold weather, we talked about it already. Many parts of the country, I already talked to my friends in Park City, Utah, already freezing, freezing, um, getting snow. Colorado, the same thing. So insulation, warm jackets or sweaters for small dogs, especially. Don't laugh when you see them. They need it. Their surface area, their body surface area is greater per their body weight than a big dog. So therefore, very, very, very important to keep them warm. Wipe their paws. Don't have the ice in the bottom of their feet. So when they come in, you want to wipe their paws. Keep them dry. No hanging out. Just chilling. <laughs> Pardon the pun. In freezing weather. Uh, no, you got to get them inside. They got to go out, do their business, and then either come back inside. If they have to be outside, you have to provide them shelter, preferably warm shelter, fresh water that's not freezing over so they can drink. And um, and remember, in areas like Chicago, where it's not only cold, but windy, wind chill really makes it even colder. So keep that in mind. And make sure for your thick-coated dogs, make sure that they are well combed because they're, that insulation coming from a healthy coat if the coat's not healthy, it doesn't work. So that's also important. But this is the one that I liked, all right? And uh, how many of us can relate? 
So here it is. Physically inactive aging dogs were 6.5 times more likely, check this out, six and a half times more likely to have either CCD, canine cognitive dysfunction, or also known as CDS, cognitive dysfunction syndrome. Then their highly active peers and middle age and older people, check this out, who took 3,800 steps a day had a 25% lower chance of developing dementia than their sedentary peers. And those who took an average of 9,800 steps a day, right? Bottom line, they had a 50% drop in dementia. So the bottom line is get out there and keep walking and uh, take your dogs for nice long walks. And if there's any study that proves that being out there for good long walks with your dog is not only good for the dog, that we know, but it's good for us as well. And uh, so those of you who have those watches know, the smart watches, they're walking around counting steps. If you get 10,000 steps a day, that just might help. I'm sure there's genetic factors. There are other things involved, but uh, it might slow down the dementia process. So anyway, when people ask me, why am I so active? That's why. No, I didn't know it. But now, now I have a good excuse to say why I'm out there running and playing basketball because I don't want to lose it because I got too much work with your pets before I, if I start losing it, I'm in, I'm in deep, you know what? So we don't want that to happen. Anyway, thanks for joining me here on Pet Life Radio. Love your questions. If you have any questions, please send them in. If you, uh, during the week, if you think of something, you can always reach me here on Pet Life Radio. You just go to Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com. You can go to Dr. Jeff at DrJeff.com. You can go to Jeff at AirVet.com. So many ways to get a hold of me. And of course, on Instagram, just send me a message. Love to hear from you. And um, let's take it from there. So um, anyway, have a great week, everybody. Stay safe. For those of you in cold weather, stay warm. For those of you who are out in sunny Southern California, enjoy it. It's gorgeous out there. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.